Welcome back to our Total Sense Bite Size episodes. I'm Tom Hensky, and I'm here to help parents teach their kids about money. Welcome back, everyone. I have a great guest today, Don McPherson, who you're expecting me to give this huge introduction about all-American quarterback from Syracuse University. They retired his number, number nine. Uh, what else? Oh, College Hall of Fame, NFLer. That's really interesting, but really not so much for my podcast, Don. Welcome. How are you? I'm good, Tom. How are you doing? Good, because you know what I want to tap your brain on today is teaching kids about money. You and I were introduced by our mutual friend, Gretchen Tibbetts, who put us together because she figured we would want to talk, 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 talk about our philosophies on teaching kids about money. And we quickly uncovered that we see this, the, the financial literacy place, the financial literacy landscape, pretty much the same way. So I want to talk to you today about teaching kids about money. I bet you know why. Tell me why. Because SAFE and the great programs you've put together and how revolutionary I think you are at the concepts of how to do the teaching. I know what to teach, but you know how to teach it. So tell me what, tell me about the, the, how you got on this road to thinking about money and wanting to teach money. Tell us, tell us, tell us everything. I, you know, I, I said, tell me why, because you and I have talked about so much in this space and, uh, and I've been at it for a long time. You're, you're exactly right. I, I don't know necessarily what to teach, but I do know my entire career has been talking to young people about all the issues that we're all raised not to talk about, those uncomfortable issues. And from my side, those are usually difficult conversations about alcohol or sex or issues that we're all like, itch, you know, very, very uncomfortable talking about. But money seems to be one of those things that's beyond all of that. It's in our face all the time, and yet we, we don't see the value of talking about those little things that happen every day. And for me, it started many years ago when, when I was on an alumni call at my alma mater, Syracuse University, and someone said, why don't more athletes give back? And my, my answer was all about the time that we put into, you know, as an athlete, you put in so much time, and, and you don't think of your time as money, but, uh, it, but it was. And I didn't have any response to talk about the, 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 the monetary value of my education. And that made me realize my education was, was the first half of my life. So there was definitely an opportunity to teach it, but yet we were still very stymied in, in that conversation. So conversations with you have been so amazing to know that, and here's the part about financial literacy, is that you weren't trying to sell a financial instrument. You weren't trying to sell retirement. You weren't trying, you were trying to sell competency and, and, and understanding. And that's the sell. If you try to sell the end result, you're never going to get there. That's the beauty of education. You don't teach students in the first day of, of, of the engineering class how to build the next you know, World Trade Center. You teach them the fundamentals, and then they tell you how it's going to be built in 10 years from now. And I think that's the, the key to even this, is that you have to teach young people the fundamentals, and then they can tell you, and then they can engage in the conversation in a, in a much more sophisticated way. So tell me, when did this whole topic come front of mind for you? Was it in the NFL when you saw guys maybe blowing money? Was it in college? What spurred you to want to talk about this with people? 
it, it was that conversation I just said when I was on the alumni board. So I had retired from football by then. I was working in higher education. I was working on different social issues. And when that question came up about why athletes don't get back, and I had to think about my own behavior. And, and, I, and I realized that I was not very good at it. And, and the reasons why were because the same reason why I wasn't good at a lot of other things that I never paid attention to the fundamentals. So I was long retired. And it really was about talking with young people or at least not even talking with young people, realizing that we hadn't been having that conversation. And so it was kind of a slap in the face to me because of all the other important topics that I, that I feel like I address with my work. And so, and then when I started looking around, your, your question about the NFL, at that time, it was in the early 2000s, there was that stat that, that 80% of NFL players were broke two years after the uh, after their careers were over. It was a similar stat in the NBA. And here were guys who made millions upon millions of dollars. And all of a sudden, two years later, they're broke. That means that they weren't doing the fundamentals. Forget about long-term planning. They were making mistakes on a, on a daily basis. In fact, I, I would say that for some guys to lose, like one guy lost $200 million and you have to work actively to lose that kind of money. Right. So I realized that not only were these guys not doing the fundamentals, they were doing everything that was counterproductive to long-term planning. Isn't it funny that professional athletes who got there by doing the fundamentals right are not doing the fundamentals with the money that they're making from that sport? One of the first people that I, that I reached out to was a woman named Anna Maria Lasardi uh, at George Washington University. And and she said to me, because she had this very thick Italian accent, and she would say, athletes. And she goes, athletes should be very good at financial literacy because they're good at the fundamentals. They're good at doing the little things, the building blocks. They're good at the debt. And this was the most important part. And this is the part that resonated with me right away. We're, we're good at um, um, creating habits, creating healthy habits. Even those healthy habits that, you know, I think about the, the film Rocky, right? When, when all of a sudden he had the, he had the chance to, what, what was the one of the first most memorable scenes was Rocky waking up before the sun came up and cracking a bunch of eggs into the blender and just drinking the eggs, you know, raw. It was nasty, right? But then by the time he was on the middle of his run was when the world was waking up, right? Those fundamental habits that athletes get into that they do before anyone else know, notices what they're doing. That's the building blocks of, of, of every, everything that we do, especially finances, right? You're saving your money before the people who see you at the restaurant spending $200 on dinner. They don't realize you've already paid yourself that $200. You've already invested that $200. You've already put that into a savings account. But you've already done those fundamentals before you show all the who, who you are as a, a public-facing person. So there's so many fundamentals when it comes to money. What, what are the biggies in your mind? Oh, I think the first one is 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 a self awareness. This is what this is why Tom why why you might say and, and and maybe some of your colleagues might talk about savings or investing or investing in self, pay yourself first. Those kind of really smart things that you, that you all know. My first thing is know yourself. Know you really have to know your your appetite for risk. You have to know your how you like to. I have a daughter who's a, a first year student in college, and she always tells me, "I love money, Dad. I love money." And so, okay, what are you going to do with that money? And she's, she's coming home for spring break and she's already, or, or winter, uh, fall break, she's already talking about going back to work at her job uh, back here on Long Island because she knows that that's what she has to do. So you have, I think you really have to know yourself, how hard you're willing to work for it, um, what you want your lifestyle to be. And I think you have to be really, truly honest. I've seen the big mistakes. I, I remember my early days of 
thinking about this and people will talk about, well, athletes compete with each other. And I said, and that's the worst thing you can do when it comes to money. Because if you're a student and one student is studying, you know, engineering or, or, or uh, um, psychology or something where you're going to need advanced degrees and it's going to take you a long time to start recouping student loans or, or getting to a lifestyle, um, you better know that, that even though you might be on track to make a lot of money one day, it's going to be hard sledding for the, for, the, for the foreseeable future. And if you think you're going to be a teacher or a nurse or someone who's not going to make a lot of money, your decisions financially better reflect that the long-term projection of what fits your lifestyle and your personality. So what you went and did was create a program totally around teaching kids about money. Yes, and, and the idea was that, was that there is money around kids. And one of the biggest misconceptions is, is that kids don't have money. Well, of course they do. Somebody's paying the mortgage or rent. Somebody's paying utilities. Somebody's paying for their ability to, to, to watch uh, you know, Netflix or, or, or Disney or whatever, the pay-per-view. Or, uh, um, someone's paying those bills. And so that's an economy that's around young people that very often we fail to show them and use as a teaching tool to say, here are the monthly bills that your parents are paying, and, and here's what's happening. Here's a, an economy around young people. And instead of trying to teach them retirement, we should be teaching them about the economy that is currently around them. Okay, and so how did you go about doing that? So the, the idea was that, obviously we wanna teach them financial literacy, and that, that to most people is, it are lessons. And so the idea was that once a month, there's going to be a bill um, or a series of a, a number of bills that come through a young person says, okay, your mortgage is due or your rent is due uh, and, and these other bills. And so for a college student, it's your tuition is due, your housing, your meal plan is due. So before they can pay those bills, they would have to see a quick lesson, very, very quick lesson, and then answer a few questions on that quick lesson and get a score. And then and then once they do that, they would get, uh, uh, they would have to pay their bills. And so now you can pay your bills or you check a box, just like we all do, we pay our bills very quickly these days. And then the final thing is, then they would actually get an allowance. If you're a parent, you give your child allowance. If you're a college student, you get a little money on a debit card uh, from your parents, as I do to my daughter, you know, on a regular basis. And then you get your real dollars. And now what you do with your real dollars actually go into teachable buckets. If you save, this is what it's going to look like. If you spend it, this is what your account's going to look like. If you give, if you invest, and how well do you invest? And so those four behaviors become sort of your, your, your behaviors, as I said a moment ago, um, your habits. What are you doing with your money each month after you're getting a lesson, paying your bills, and then and those three behaviors aggregate a score. And I can actually score young people to say, here's your score for the month that you 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 got you did very well in your quiz. You did you paid your bills on time, and you did smart things with your money. You didn't spend down to zero. You actually invested a little, and you invested wisely. And you did, and so there's lessons in, in all three of those those buckets. And that was that product that I, I call SAFE. Um, the original name was Student Athlete Financial Education, but it's now Student Accountability and Financial Education. And it's about teaching competency with the economy. Again, not asking them to answer questions about you know the, the global economy or about savings and, and, and what, what a mortgage is going to look like and you know after the Fed you know raises interest rates or any kind of you know uh, but really what are the fundamentals in your local economy in your life. But wait, nothing about teaching a kid how to write a check? Who writes checks anymore, right? <laughs> I mean, you could you could do that, but I think, you know, one of the things about that, it's like, who writes checks anymore? I, actually, I do. I do write a check. But that, that was always one of those exercises that, that to me was, 
it was almost an indication because the kid didn't know how to write a check. It was almost an indication of it's like if 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 I if I tell my kids to take the garbage out and they go, "Where's the garbage can?" That means you haven't been asking them how to the, the, the garbage taking the garbage can, like writing a check, is the easiest part of it. It's an indication that you haven't been talking to them about money because they don't even know what a check looks like. Like you, your kid doesn't even know what the garbage can looks like because you haven't been asking them to do that fundamental thing. And if you, if you ask them to take the garbage out, eventually you're gonna say, you know what, Dad, we need a new garbage can, right? Or 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 we need a garbage can that has wheels, or we need a garbage can that can do this because we have now we have compost, right? I mean, if you are asking your kids to engage in the things that go on in their daily lives, and that and finances is something that goes on in their daily lives, and they need to know when you say, hey, let's go to the mall. I got to put gas in the car, right? And they need to know all those all those other things that go along with their day. And those are all teachable moments, Tom. They're not sitting down saying, "Well, this is what it costs." You no, know, no. Hey, gas. Is this what calculate what what, what gas is going to cost us to get to the mall today? And then, and then let's take that, subtract that from the money you're going to spend on the video game that you're not going to be playing in two months from now. And let's look at long term investing, right? Find creative ways to have conversations with your kid, not to come down and be a drag. But to have fun with what you what you do and you know as a parent. Well, you know, it's interesting because what we think we need to teach the kids isn't always what we need to teach the kids. I just had lunch with a friend, and she was telling me that her high school daughter needed to sign something. And when she put it in front of her to sign, the, the daughter gave her a blank look back because she had never signed her name. Think about it. Everything's a point and click nowadays. She didn't even know how to write in cursive, right? So it's funny that you say that, the things that we think they need to know, maybe they don't need to know. And by the way, when they get a little bit of information, they'll take it to an area that we can't even see right now, right? Absolutely. And it's it's a very good conversation to say, you know, I'm I'm always looking for teachable moments. So that point about you just made, and I remember having an argument with, with some other adults, educators, and I was saying, writing in cursive is a thing of the past. We we we're not no longer going to need to do that. Every now and then you'll see the meme saying um, that adults will be using cursive writing as code to talk about their kids in front of their kids, right? Like they, what is that? As I'm asked, right? And so those things that provide an opportunity to have a conversation. And this is this is another to me the thing that we don't talk about the intergenerational aspect of this is what is this going to look like for you? And, and I think that's where really things like, you know, whether, whether it's crypto or some of the some of the training things that we saw a year ago with GameStop and everything. I mean, there's there's generationally um, a, a language that needs to be translated. And, and I think to your point about, the, about the, the, the adult having to talk to, having an anxiety, we typically very often around those things that we don't, we're not raised to talk about, we talk about it from a place of fear. Right, as opposed to a place of, of sitting back, and that's why I say take the opportunity about going to the mall to have a conversation and get you to some other other issues. Don't talk about it from a place of of fear because you have to because I need you to sign this thing, and then you get into an argument. You don't know how to write cursive, right? And then and then there's the argument that, that ensues because you haven't had those fundamental conversations previously. So do it from a place of of comfort. Do it from a place of love. Uh, I remember having a conversation with my daughter about. Um, home homeowners insurance, which is insurance, is an impossible thing to teach young people, right? They they go to the store, they they give you a nickel, you get a, a piece of candy, right? I mean, that's that's the trade that they understand. 
But to talk about, I remember explaining to my daughter about homeowners insurance. I said, what if that tree that's rooted in our yard falls in the neighbor's house? And a blank look, again, just like you just described, came on my daughter's face. Like, what does that mean? And then about six months later, a tree fell on the swing set. <laughs> of course, right? <laughs> of course. Like, you couldn't even see the swing set. You just saw the tree. And 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 my daughter looks at me and she goes, well, is it covered? Right? And I wasn't even thinking, was it covered? But she went right to that because they absorb every little piece we give them. Okay, so Don, tell me, if you could wave the magic wand of how to teach kids about money, let's imagine that you could just, you had complete carte blanche to make it the way that it should be. What does it look like for you? It would be embedded in every level of education and and, and the very fundamentals of teaching language and competency. And I, and I think about this in, in so many different ways. Remember a few years ago when the, when the quote unquote new math came in, we, we, we literally taught a different way to look at numbers. And to me, numbers were the most consistent. They're the most consistent elements in our in our you know, sort of educational space, right? Because now you think about how much language is, is nuanced now. And, and, and But two plus two is four. It's four in, in Cantonese. It's four in English. And it was four in 1961. It's four now, right? I mean, it is so fundamental and consistent. So we, I would want us to see that we, we can't be afraid of it. And we teach it um, in the elementary schools, and we teach teachers how to teach it by using very simple, like I said, the economy that's around you. Use the economy of your classroom. How much do the chairs cost? How much does the blackboard cost? Right? And then and having students look at the monthly payment for that. Again, not getting too out, out, out of a hand on it, but really looking at what's around them. Teach it in elementary school. Teach it in, in, in K through 12, uh, middle schools and high schools. In a way, again, not trying to get solve big problems, but keep it inc incremental so that by the time a student is in, and also, and this is, I think, Tom, the thing that you do extraordinarily well is teaching parents how to do it with their students. It's one thing that we teach the best lessons around these kinds of skills can be seen in things like Mothers Against Drunk Driving, right? Where we wanted to teach, teach something in the community. We started with the schools, with drunk driving programs, and then, and then we, we, we gave mothers, we gave people in the home the tools to be able to have those conversations at home. And so why is it an important, something important to understand, not just in the classroom when you come home and you don't tell your parents about it or you don't know how to talk to your parents. Actually teach parents how to teach and support the same things that are being taught and supported in the school when it comes to personal finances. Again, the really uncomfortable part for parents, but to teach them how to talk about and support the fundamentals. And so if you ask me to wave that wand, and there's a way to do it. We are, you know, if we think of how much money, how many times we interact with our children around money, each one of those transactions for a child should be an education. Should be an education. Okay, what are you going to do with this dollar that I'm giving you? And 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 um, how much of it are you gonna? Are you planning to save? How much of it will you have next week? How much will you have next month? Um, all the little ways in which you can support what happens in the classroom, and then I think for right up on, on into college, I think it, it becomes a way that if you teach young people to have a, a learning portfolio or a learning tool like Safe, like this tool that I've been uh, I've been working on for so long, uh, then you give them the ability to to manipulate their score by their behaviors. And so by the time they're in high school, they say, well, I really want to show that I'm a good risk or, or, or a good, um, I want to get into a business course at this college. I want to show that, that these are the things I've invested in. And here's, here's, here's what, how well I've done 
on, on my portfolio. I think there's a whole host of different ways that you can help um, young people in high schools get into college and then for college students to show a future employer that here's my here's how I'm responsible I am. We know that employers use credit score um, to, to look at potential hires. We know that that's utility companies look at that. We know that so many people look at that, your independence after college or after high school, if you if you're not if you choose not to go to college, that you can show your independence. And so giving young people a way to build up their financial literacy portfolio through a tool that can show that have th th their behaviors, uh, that to me would be the one that I would wave. Okay, so wait, are you telling me or are you suggesting that with a score, okay, I get it, that there are companies out there and schools out there that would want to know the scores of the young person or the young adult profile before they did business with them. Do you feel like there's, is there a need or a desire for that out there by banks and lenders and things like that? I, before I get to banks and lenders, I will tell you in higher education, one of the biggest, one of the biggest issues in higher education is retention, right? A friend of mine just texted me last night, her son got early early decision to Syracuse, right? He's trying to get an early decision. Well, that's a big deal, early decision. And the schools will, will, will grant that. But one of the things they, they want to know is I'm going to give you that space. I'm going to give you that seat early, but you have to show the ability that you're not going to drop out because you can't afford to stay here. Be very blunt about higher education. That is a big deal. So if you have a, a student says, I am responsible with money, I'm not going to come up to, to, to campus and blow uh, scholarship money or, or grant money or student loan money, uh, I'm going to be a responsible steward of those dollars that are being invested in my, me and my education. Absolutely, schools will look at that if that tool is available. And without question, for employers, for credit rating agencies, um, the ability to show, to score the unbanked, which we think of students being unbanked or underbanked, the ability to score them, to give them a score has always been something that banks and, and credit rating agencies have always wanted to know. How do we score the unbanked? How do we score college students? This, this tool could actually give those students a score that you can show. I have four years. I've been paying my bills on time. Uh, you know, my parents are paying my, my, my tuition, but I can show you that I've been doing it. I have this application to show you I've been paying my bills. I've been responsible with the, with the, um, the, the, the money that my parents give me on my debit card. I'm not spending zero. I have saved. I have smart long-term investments. I take some chances every now and then with what fits my personality. Right? You can show all those behaviors in a tool that gives them the ability to interact with money and interact with their with their um, their economic ecosystem. You know, I'm laughing right now because um, you know I have a son who's in college and I have a daughter who's in high school, and we're starting to talk to the daughter about all the things that she needs to have: the test scores, the extracurricular activities, the letters of recommendation. And it's funny now; test scores are becoming somewhat optional based on the, you know, from the pandemic. But imagine a world where they also had to put their money score into the application, right? And I wonder, I really never thought about this, Don, but imagine that that was part of the requirement. You would have people focusing on that and you would probably have high school students who are going to college with some baseline of financial literacy and I wonder if they started college with that baseline of financial literacy and curiosity, what would happen from there? It, it is, you know, student, student loan defaults and, uh, and credit cards. I mean, this is, why, this is the reason why credit cards got kicked off of campus so many years ago, right? Because of all the predatory lending, because they had this, this, this completely 
uninformed, massive, borderline narcissistic population of first-year college students, right, who go to the bookstore and I have to get this, I have to get that. Oh, I can get a credit card and I don't have to start paying back until sophomore year or until whenever. And then, oh, I'm going to just go and spend, right? So they get kicked off because they had this completely uninformed, large population that were then also going to be the population that were going to be the highest earners that we know of, right? So, so basically, the predatory lending of college students was brilliant from keeping people in long-term debt. And so you're exactly right. If we did the flip side, what would that do for the economy? What would that do for institutions that want to retain students and keep them long-term uh, so that because they're not falling into financial um, uh, troubles because of, of all the, again, immature spending that occurs when you're first away from home, right? You don't know. You think about, <clears throat> think about the things that your son has probably spent money on you going, oh yeah, yeah, you spent money on what, right? And and so, because they, they, don't, they don't know, you know, I, I, I bought a, I needed a, a doorstop for the door down. I spent $15 on the doorstop. Why didn't you just take a newspaper, roll it up? And, <laughs> right. like, oh, all the different things that, that we make these silly purchases on. And so you're, you're exactly right. If you think about the requirements um, that your son went through, and I'm going through the same thing. I have a daughter in, in college and a daughter in high school. They think about all the requirements that they need, how much so much are prepared to you for the second one, right? This is a breeze. The first one, you sweat it out. The second one, you're like, oh, yeah, you need that. We've already done that. We'll just pull, pull up the old file and away you go. And so imagine if you did that with, with regard to, to money, how much better informed the second generation is going to be. Okay, got it. So you don't have the magic wand, either do I. So what's the baby step? What are the initial steps that people should be thinking about? Or if you want to take it of we as a society, what do we need to be thinking about to turn the ship around? You know, one of the baby steps is I think what, what I said about why I think what you're doing is, is so brilliant. And one of the reasons why we hit it off when we first started talking, when Gretchen pulled us together, is that it's not about teaching or... or um, securing uh, business. It's about teaching competency. It's about teaching, truly teaching financial literacy, not about selling something. And, and unfortunately, the financial literacy sort of world um, for so long has been driven by the financial institutions who want business, right? So they want you to think about long-term retirement because that's their business. They want you to think about investing because that's their business. And so I, I, I think one of the first things that, that um, I would love to see adopted by people who care about, there's a difference between caring about the business and caring about long-term success, as opposed to keep people who truly care and see the importance of this to our society, the importance of this to, to everyone, that we have young people who are financially, financially literate and making good decisions. Uh, and I think that's, I, I do think that's higher education. I do think that's um, other other um, entities that, that, that care about the long-term health of the economy. Clearly, government is, is one, um, but government moves so slow and, and, and very often not in a very efficient way. So I, I think it's, it's to find the people who truly care that young people are getting smarter and, and they're more, and not savvy is the wrong word, but they're, they're more aware of, of the plethora of opportunities uh, and the things they, as we would say, the things they don't know, things we're raised not to talk about. So I think that's one, the one thing is to find the people who really care um, about financial competency as opposed to selling instruments. And the, and the second thing is, it, it's, it's like, like I said at the very beginning of, of this, is all the issues that we're raised not to talk about. But for adults, and I think, and this is why I think 
you know, what you're doing and, and um, is, is so brilliant is giving adults the ability and the language to talk with their children, making them, making adults comfortable that you don't need to, 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 to work at a, a financial, you know, uh, institution or, or, or an investment firm to know uh, the fundamentals. It's, it's not about the, the big thing. It, it is language. Even I would say for, for a lot of parents, just get out a glossary of terms and go through those terms so that when you're, when you're using, uh, when you're talking about things, when you hear things on the news, um, you can understand what an interest rate is, what compounding interest is. Um, when you hear people, you know, people very casually, casually, you hear the term, the, the Fed. What's the Fed? And what does that organization do, right? You, when you hear these things, um, and we hear them passively in the news, uh, and we don't really know what it means. And so many adults, by the way, stay silent because we hear them so often and still don't know that we think everybody else must know because I'm hearing this all the time. <laughs> right. Our time is up, but it's been fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me today. And tune in next time. We'll have some great guests coming up. I hope you enjoyed our episode of Total Sense. A special thank you goes out to Verso Studios at the Westport Library. Tune in for our next Money Chat.